Um, but oftentimes, in the Bible, you find these encounters where people established faith and uh, they didn't have all the answers. They, they took steps forward in beginning a relationship with Jesus, but um, they, didn't, they didn't know everything about what they were jumping into. And I want to look at this whole area of um, how do people come to faith in Christ? What does that look like? And what's our role? Um, because it's really important. We've been given a mission. If you've decided to follow Christ, then you've received a, um, a calling in life, which is to also share your faith with other people. And it's very difficult because Christianity is one of those things that is sometimes it seems unexplainable, and at the same time it's undeniable. You know, if you've become a Christian, it's kind of this undeniable experience. You've, you've encountered a relationship with God and you know it's true, uh, sometimes it's very, very difficult to put that into words, isn't it, to other people, and just to be able to help people get it and be convinced and, and then want to respond to that same message. And so it's unexplainable and yet undeniable all at the same time. And that tension is really what I want to look at this morning. And something you find in the Bible in John chapter 9, where there's a man who is born blind and he's healed by Jesus, and there's this encounter with him and then all these other people trying to explain what really happened there. Because it was, once again, it was an undeniable experience for the man, but it was unexplainable for everybody around him. And there was this tension that needed to be um, answered. And so I want to look at this together as we, as we understand the power of our personal story. Because in the end, the story of the blind man is what, is what makes the difference. So let's look at John chapter 9, and we're going to walk through the, the verses here. And then we're going to look at how this applies to us as we go out from this place. So let's pray before we, before we move forward. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, I know you speak through your word every time we open our hearts to you and when we have a heart to listen and to obey you. So Father, I pray that you give us all uh, a decision, you know, that we'd make a decision inside it. That if you show us something about our lives or about... Um, our future, our actions, just the way you want us to live. Lord, I pray that right now, even before we hear from you, that we would set our hearts to obey you in what you say, God. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. John 9, the beginning says this in verse 1. It says, As he went along, Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You know, since he was blind, all he could do was beg. Okay, so he's begging, and they pass him, and they ask him this question because Jesus, they knew him as a rabbi, a teacher, and the rabbis in those days taught that if you were experiencing evil, then you must have done something wrong. You deserved punishment for something, and so they're confused. They're saying, "God, who who caused this? Was it this man, or was it his parents?" Now he'd been born blind, so. You know, they're, they're asking this question. And then Jesus says, verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So they stumble upon a situation and they say, Jesus, explain this to us. This is unexplainable, but explain this to us. How come this guy is blind? And Jesus' response you know, they wanted an explanation. And he answers and he says, you know, he, he didn't do anything wrong. His parents didn't do anything wrong. Um, 
we live in a fallen world, and Jesus, um, he knows this. He knows that every single one of us, um, we do make mistakes, but we also live in a world where just the conditions of our lives, we, we encounter all sorts of trouble because of sin, because we've all missed God's mark for our lives. And so every single one of us, from the day we're born, we're just, it's natural for us to encounter trouble. Jesus doesn't really address their issue. He kind of, uh, it's interesting here, he just kind of, uh, he doesn't evade their question, but he brings something else into the mix. He says God's got a bigger purpose here. You know, he's saying there's, as long as it's still day, we need to be doing the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one else can work. So he's saying we've got a job to do here. God was doing something through the life of this man. He was going to display his power through a healing here and displaying God's glory. But Jesus is saying, look, let's get to work. And so verse 6, he responds to the need. It says, having said this, he spit on the ground. He made some mud with the saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. I told my son about this story. And, you know, of course, it kind of puzzled him that Jesus would spit on the ground and make some mud and clay and he puts on the guy's eyes. And why did he do that? You know? I think we ask the same question. Why did he do this? In other cases where Jesus performed healings of those who've been blind, he merely touched. All he did was he touched the man's eyes. But here he spits on the ground, he forms some clay, and he, he places it on the man's eyes. And you know, this could have been for several different reasons. Um, one is uh, irritation. Um, just simply, this would have irritated any of us, right? It's irritating to have something in your eyes. Now, he was blind. He's not used to seeing, but he's still irritated to have something in his eyes. You know how it is when you get a little speck in your eyes. Now imagine having a, a you know, a lot of spit and, and dirt in your eyes. Um, you know, this, I think, had something to do with Jesus saying, you know, giving him instructions and then his urgency to go and respond, to do something about it. It says in verse 7, Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and he washed and he came home seeing. This is, a miracle had been performed right here. His neighbors and those who'd formerly seen him begging asked him, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But then he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, and he put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and I washed, and then I could see. Well, where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So again, he starts sharing his story. Here's what happened. This is, you know, they don't believe it's really him, and he says, no, it's me, it's me, I'm the man. I was blind, Jesus, this man, he, put spit, he spit on the ground, put mud in my eyes, and now I can see. Verse 13, they brought the, to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, and they prided themselves in the way that they separated themselves from the common people. Um, and from those who were, who, you know, the common people who were trying to follow God, they would separate themselves even further because they wanted to, to be um, holier than everyone else. And so they had, they had all these laws that they followed. They added laws on top of things that God said. Because they really, really wanted to obey him. But it became a real prideful thing for them. And they were somewhat the, uh, uh, 
the investigators and the approvers of, of anything that really happened in, in that day. So the fact that this miracle had occurred, the people felt like the Pharisees needed to sign off on it, that this, in fact, had actually happened. So they go to these religious leaders. It says, They brought the Pharisees to the man who had been blind, verse 13, and then verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also had asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. But once again, the blind man, he just tells his story. He says, here's the story, you know. I was blind. Jesus performed this. You know, Jesus spit on the ground. He put mud on my eyes. I washed, now I can see. The Pharisees aren't convinced, okay. The Pharisees would always look for something in some way to trap Jesus in order to discredit him and his ministry. And so one of the things they were using was the Sabbath. They knew it was the Sabbath, and to perform this miracle on the Sabbath in their mind was breaking a law by God. And so this was, for them, posing a problem. He's going to get into it later. Uh, Verse 16 says, Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner do such miraculous signs? And so they were divided. This is the Pharisees. The Pharisees themselves are divided over what's really happening. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, He is a prophet. So again, they go back and forth, back and forth. Um, Here's this man who clearly experienced the miracle, and they cannot explain how it happened. Why is it that we believe in some things without understanding everything about them? But, you know, with other things, we feel like we need to give a complete explanation. Um, it's just interesting. When we think about passing our faith on or sharing our faith with others, um, I think this tension comes up. How much do I need to tell? Do I need to explain everything so that they'll be convinced? Or do I just simply need to tell them what happened in my life? And, you know, the blind man, he just... He doesn't feel the need to go and tell them all the details of what he thinks happened in the supernatural realm for God to perform this miracle. He simply tells the facts of, of his life and his story. But Jesus had done something so far out of the box, they, the Pharisees just didn't have a category for what Jesus had done. And I'm sure many of you can relate to this. Um, you were going your own way in life, and then at one point in your life, God got a hold of your heart, he came into your life in the person of Jesus Christ. You received Him as your Savior and your Lord. And then you went and started trying to share that with other people. And people said, whoa, 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 wait a second. I don't buy it for a minute. I've seen your life. I've seen the way you used to live. I've seen the things you've done. I've been with you. And now you're saying that you follow Christ and He's the Lord of your life. And you're saying, and you're, you know, maybe you are wondering, yeah, what do I do? Do I try to convince them? Do I try to explain everything about Why or do I simply share my story with them? Do I simply tell them, well, I was going my own way in life. I recognized I needed God. Through certain circumstances in my life, God got a hold of my heart and I decided to give my life to Him. And and I'm a new person. And He's making a difference. There's a change in my life. You've probably felt that same tension. I know I have. I know there's sometimes when I've wanted to share and uh, the only thing I can stand firm on because they're not buying the answers I'm giving from the Bible, is, well, here's some things out of my own life, and 
these are undeniable changes. God is making undeniable changes in my life, and I can share those things. Now, they cannot refute them, and they're having a hard time refuting the story of the blind man. Look at verse 18. It says this. It says, The Jews still did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. And they said in verse 19, Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? They said, We know he's our son, the parents answered. You know, they, they were willing to admit to that. We'll claim him as our own. And we know he was born blind. So they confirmed the fact there. But, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Um, in verse 22 it says, His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. The synagogue was the Jewish place of worship and the center for kind of life for the Jewish persons. You know, the political, social, spiritual life revolved around the synagogue. And so to be excommunicated or cast out of the synagogue meant, you know, you were really an outcast from your people and from your neighbors and the society. And so uh, they were very, very uh, careful with their words. They, they said, yeah, he's our son. But as far as how this all happened and who did this all, he's old enough to answer the questions for himself. So why don't you go talk to him? They, they pled the fifth. You know, I don't know if your parents have ever been in a situation where, um, you know, you did something wrong and they call your parents and check on, you know, some of our parents might stick up for us and some of our parents might say, punish him, you know. <clears throat> but these parents, you know, they, they simply confirmed his identity but they pled the fifth. They answered. Uh, they evaded the question that they were given. So then, once again, they talked to the blind man. Verse 24. It says, A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. So they're, they're trying to take it up a notch. They're like, you know, give glory to God. You know, you know they're trying to really turn up the heat at this point. We know this man is a sinner. They're almost trying to, to get them to turn on Jesus and say, here, let's get on God's side here. You know, we know this man is a sinner. Verse 25, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, we don't get the... Um, you know, in, in the scriptures, you don't get the, the tone or anything. You don't get if he's frustrated. But how could you not be frustrated at this point? Everybody's coming to you. What happened? He says, I, I'm telling you the same story over and over and over. So verse 25 or 26, I'm sorry, 27, he answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Challenging question for the Pharisees. And of course, their response. Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. Now he gets a little bold here. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man who was born blind. If this man were not from God, then he could do nothing. And to this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. It's an interesting story, you know. Whether or not he could explain it, whether or not he could get them to be convinced, he believed it. He had a story to tell that was undeniable. He just he knew something undeniable had happened in his life. And, and he could talk about it without fear, um, without confusion, because his life had truly been changed. Um, I want to look at now the story in light of our lives and just our experience in walking with God and just this mission that Christ has given to all of us who follow him to share this life-altering message with others. We have this tension because we want to share it, but at the same time, uh, you know, sometimes we don't want to offend. Sometimes we don't want to come on too strong. Sometimes we don't want to sound like the know-it-all. But the truth is, God has given all of us that know him a story to tell. He's given you a story unlike any others. And I want to encourage you today to share it with people as you have the opportunity. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at um, different ways to share our faith. Um, particularly today, we're, we're talking about our experience. How, how can I share my experience with Christ with others? This is, this is what's called our testimony. And if you'd like, you can follow along in the, on the outline. But your testimony is this. Your testimony is the story of how you began a relationship with Jesus. You may know this already. This may be a refresher for you. But sometimes we jump past this. We jump right to trying to explain the unexplainable and trying to convince people with something um, that they're not going to be convinced of. You know, some people people, uh, just intellectually have walls up in their lives. And, And some of you have been there and maybe you are still there and to to forget to share your story is to miss a very very important element of sharing your faith and so because we have this inside of us first john 5 10 says this says anyone who believes in the son of god has this testimony in his heart we have something inside of us called a testimony we have a story of what god has done it's inside of our heart He's planted it deep in our heart. Most of us probably, um, you know, sometimes I ask people, you know, tell me a little bit about how you came to faith in Christ. And some people um, will say, well, I grew up in the church and, you know, I've always been a Christian. I've always, I've always believed in God and been a Christian since I was born. I was born into a Christian family. And I'll have to stop them because, you know, faith is not something that you are born with. It's not something that you just inherit. Now, you may inherit elements of the faith, but as far as a personal faith, it's something you have to decide. It's something you have to respond to. And so, if you've done that, then you have a testimony. You have a story about what that looked like. I remember when God got a hold of my heart. I, was, I, I had all the churchy answers and information in my head floating around, but then I had, all, I had my way of doing life, and I was living life for myself. I was really on the throne of my life. And when I was 18, midway through my first year in college, I thought I was fitting in. I thought I was convincing people around me. And 
but God, God wasn't fooled. Some people weren't f- fooled in my life. And there came a point when people started calling my life, they started calling me out. And I realized I had a decision to make. And as at one point I was at a church and I heard the message of, of Jesus Christ. And, and I knew the message. It was familiar to me. But I'd never decided to really surrender my life to him. And I came to the point where I felt like God was speaking directly to me. Like there was no one else. And like the message that I was hearing was written exactly for me. And I thought, okay, God, I, I give in. I, I believe you. I'm convinced and I'm ready to yield my life to you today. And I did that. It was October 31st, 1995. And it was Halloween. And uh, I, I remember I, I came home and I went and I talked to my roommate about it. It was the first thing. I just said, hey, I made this decision. I had all this church stuff inside of me, but it's in my heart now. This is real. And I want you to help me grow. And we began to grow together and share with each other what that really looked like. But my testimony or my, my story, you know, I can, I can verbalize that to people. And it's very important because that's, that's something that no one can deny, that God has done something inside of me. Look at this, verse 11 through 13. This is the testimony. We all have a testimony in our heart, but this is the testimony we have. It's this, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants to give us assurance that if you have the Son of God in your life, then you have eternal life. And you don't have to wonder, but you have this testimony deep in your heart. And you can share that with other people. And it's personal. It's not just words on a page like, I have the Son of God in my life. But you can share what that really means for you. What, what's the difference it's made? All of us have this. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, said this. He says that we're chosen. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a people who belong to God. Why? So that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. God wants us to declare His praises to others. He's pulled us out of a life of going our own way and a life of darkness, it describes and, and he, he, he transferred us into a new kingdom, the kingdom of light. And he's opened up perspective. He's, he's shined light into areas that we just, we maybe were wondering about in the past. And he's begun to give us real clear direction for who we are, how he's made us, what our purposes are. I mean, God's just done this amazing thing in our life and he wants us to declare that to other people. This, this message is intended to be personal. It's to be in our hearts but it's not intended to be private. And I think sometimes when we think about faith and Christianity and religion, we think, you know, that's, that's private. I, I, that's off limits to talk about with others. But the Bible and Jesus' call in our lives is to take it out. He wants us to take it out. So the essence of sharing your faith is simply sharing your personal experiences regarding the Lord. We're called to be witnesses, all of us. If you've become a Christian, then you're called to be a witness Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power. Again, this is part of Jesus' commissioning to his followers. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So he's saying, essentially, I'm going to supply the power into your life to pull this off. You don't have to muster up the strength to share your faith, but you will receive power when my Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
God has a plan to reach the entire world, and he, he wants to include you in it. For any of us to think, oh, that, that's great. That involves pastors, and that involves missionaries. I know I support people who go overseas. And, but to think your, uh, the pressure is taken off of you is to be mistaken, because God wants us to be a part of this. Um, and at this point, you might be thinking, I'm, a little, I'm getting a little uncomfortable with what he's saying right now. Because in your mind, when you think about witness and the word witness and witnessing, you start thinking about maybe some of the things you've encountered in your life. Um, maybe you're thinking about knocking on doors or riding bikes or um, wearing you know, a white shirt and a tie and, uh, and a name tag. Or maybe you're thinking about getting up on a, me- you know, on a block with a megaphone and, and uh, shouting at people as they're walking by and getting them really angry at you. And um, I've been reading a book about a guy in his early 20s who he enrolled in Liberty University, which is one of the most conservative Baptist schools in the country, um, founded by Jerry Falwell, probably familiar with Jerry Falwell's name and well, he founded this university, and very, very strict university, lots of codes and uh, on what's okay to do as a student and what's not okay. And this student, he was trying to investigate Christianity, and, and he's a journalism guy, and so he decides to enroll. He went to Brown University. He decides to enroll in Liberty University and to pretend to be a Christian. He wasn't a Christian, but he decided, I want to enroll, and I want to get this whole experience for myself. And so he enrolls, moves into the dormitory. He's got accountability partners. He's in Bible studies. He's singing in the church choir. He's, um, he, he even signs up for a trip to go to uh, Florida, South Beach, I think, to go witnessing. And I'm reading through this chapter about his experience witnessing. And they're walking up to strangers on the beach in bikinis, and he's, he's sharing about his faith in Jesus that doesn't really exist. And he's, he's going into bars, and he's sharing with people in there, and all these students that he's with, they're, they're taking it all in and they're, t- they're trying to approach this from a very combative way. They're in your face. They're very much cold turkey without any relationship, just sharing and trying to convince people and then condemning with some of their words. And as I was reading this chapter, these chapters, I thought, no wonder we're so scared or we're so, um, we run the other way when it comes to sharing our faith because it's true. There are all these approaches now, I'm not knocking on the approach completely, but what I'm saying is some of what he's describing um, I, makes me want to run the other way because of how um, it ignores some of the guidelines that God sets up for when it comes to evangelism as far as um, respect for others, as far as gentleness. And so um, the tension that he experienced as a, as a non-Christian in the shoes of a Christian was very real. He got to experience something. But if that's your idea of witnessing, and that's why you feel like, I don't want to do that, then I can understand you. I I can understand why you'd run the other way. But you have to think about what it means to be a witness. A witness in a courtroom is not expected to argue the case. That's not the job of the witness. They're not expected to prove the truth or to press for a verdict. That's the job of who? The attorney, yeah. The witness, he doesn't press for the verdict. He's not trying to prove his... He's just simply reporting what happened to them or reporting what they saw. And Jesus, he calls us to be witnesses, 
Not attorneys, not salesmen, not Bible-thumping scholars. He, he calls us to be witnesses, people who will report what God has done in our lives, simply sharing, this is the story that I have to tell. This is how I know God has come into my life. This is the evidence. This is how I've seen it. The thing about your story is that no one has a story like yours. If you don't share it, if you don't share your story, it will be lost forever. You know, your life will come and pass and you figure, ah, I don't want to share my story because I feel like that will offend others. Well, once you're dead, the opportunity to share your story and the difference that he's made in your life, it's gone. It's no longer, it's going to be hard for your, your friends and family to recall all of that God did in your life because they're trying to sort out what he's done in theirs. And so I want to encourage you to take the time to share it. Your testimony is more powerful than a sermon because your friends and family see you as way more credible than they see me. Because they know you. They know your life. They've been around you and they might see the difference that God has made. My pastor used to say, before I was in ministry full-time, he said, he would say, Josh, I'm paid to be good, but you're good for nothing. And, and it's true. It's true. For those of you who, who, who just serve God voluntarily, you're not paid to be good. You know, that when you share your story with others, it makes a real difference because they know this is legitimate. You know, pastors and those that are in my role, we're, we're, our lives are suspect because there's so much bad that has gone on. In, in and so, I, again, I just encourage you to share. Here's the value in your personal testimony. Really quickly, it's easier to relate to than principles. It's much easier to relate to than principles. <clears throat> Sometimes I'll be trying to explain the way that, that God has done this thing and I'll walk through the Old Testament and I'll try to... And then I think, man, I'm losing this person very quickly. You know, people love to hear a good story, though. They love to hear, you know what, though? Let me share with you how I come to understand this and how it's worked itself out in my life. People love a good story. And your story may be exactly what is needed to reinforce the message that is true. Truth is, God doesn't need us to get his word out. His message is complete. The Bible is truly um, all we need. It's in error. There's no errors. It's what we need for salvation but a lot of times people won't even crack it open or give it a chance to speak to them. And so your story can be what God uses to reinforce his truths. Another thing is your testimony is able to capture people's attention. You know, it's because we remember stories a lot easier than we remember facts. We remember the main points of it. Your stories, they offer a bridge for people to, for the message of Christ to move across. Obviously, the story of the, of the blind man caught the attention of the Pharisees. They, you know what? They may not have been convinced, but they could not deny this man was blind and now he sees. And he, he made sure that he kept focusing on his story. Another thing is your testimony can bypass intellectual de- defenses. Many people will reject the Bible. They'll reject the authority of the Bible, but they will listen to a humble, personal story. That is why Paul... Paul, one of the church leaders, pioneered churches throughout the Mediterranean region. And you know, he was training other people to do the same, setting up churches who would multiply themselves. Um, when he was put in a position to debate 
and to try to convince people with intellectual um, you know, arguments, instead of debating six different times between Acts 22 through Acts 26, six different times he just shared his personal story. Rather than getting into a big, long debate, he says, you know what, let me tell you what happened to me. I had this encounter with Jesus, and my life has really changed. I mean, he, was, he could have debated them. He, he was intellectual. He was trained in, in, since he was a kid. And so he was well-equipped to win those debates, but he chose to use his personal story. And you and I, we bear an undeniable story that is, is still worth sharing. If you look on the back, this is kind of an assignment. Um, and what I would do is I'd encourage you to write this out this week. Sometime, take the time, if you've never done this, even if you have, what I would say, if, you've already, if you already know your personal testimony well, and you've shared it many times, what I would say is try to say it better. Try to say it more succinctly and more to the point. Um, because oftentimes you don't have a lot of time. But here's what your testimony is made up of. Four, four things. What was my life like before I met Jesus? Just having an understanding of what I was going my own way in life. This is how I treated people. This is, um, you know, this is the way I thought life worked. I was, you know, I was living for myself. And I mean, I can I can tell you that when I before I met Christ, I was truly living for myself. <laughs> and uh, relationships, I thought, were really to please me. If if friends didn't want to get on board with my agenda, then okay. You know, and but I realized I needed Christ. I realized something was missing. That's the next question. How I realized I needed Jesus. What was it that that got your attention? Did you, you know, what what convinced you that you actually needed to to turn your life towards Christ? So write that out. And then how I committed my life to Jesus. Who was involved in it? Maybe uh, what were the what were the reasons why you did that? But what specifically did you do to commit your life to Christ? And then the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And this is where I would say to emphasize, what's the difference that he's made in you? Because that's what people really want to know. It's nice that you, it's nice that you started going to church, Josh, but what difference has he made in your life? How, how did he change the selfish side that you had to, to now? What's different about you? And so I'd encourage you to say it in under three minutes. If you can, because usually you're not, you know, anything longer than that, you might lose people. Don't get too caught up in yourself. Don't get too caught up in the, the first point of what, what was your life like before Jesus and, and start sharing this real, you know, amazing story. And then that's all the passion in point number one. And then yeah, and he came into my life. The end, you know, put the emphasis on the difference that he's made in your life, not on how you were before and how. Because it's going to seem like you're longing for the past. And, uh, but, and more than anything, be honest. Share the real story and let God work through it. Sometimes we think, man, I'm not, I don't have a, a real cool story like the blind man. You know, or, or like that guy or this lady. And so I'd rather just keep it to myself. But you know what? Sometimes it's the simple stories that stack up in other people's lives. They start hearing it over and over and over. The simple stories where people came to faith in Jesus and they're convinced God speaks to them through it, and they turn their lives towards them. So my hope is that as a church, more and more, we'd be given opportunities to share our stories with others. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love once again. God, we thank you that you, um, you've made a way for us to know you. You've rescued out us from the, 
the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of light. You've opened our eyes to who you are. And God, so many of us, Lord, we've, um, we've wanted to share. We've wanted to help others know who you are. And, uh, but we just honestly haven't known how to do it. We, some of us have been afraid to do it. Some of us have, have just uh, have turned and, and not been bold and courageous at times. But Lord, I pray that you would just um, equip us, Lord, in different ways to be effective in sharing our faith with others. Lord, um, we all need your courage. We all need confidence in your power, Lord. But Lord, I pray that we would we would take a hard look at the story that we have to tell and just think through what are those parts of my life that I can share and um, begin to share them, Lord. We thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you for, um, for demonstrating that you really love us by sending your son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners, God. It's a miracle, God, and and it's undeniable for us, God. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.